Let's all stand together. His name is wonderful. singing church. Well, I have a special thank you to give to you because uh, Brother Greg emailed out today that I was going to be preaching and you still showed up. So thank you. Thank you for being here uh, and supporting this church. No matter who's in the pulpit, the word of God is proclaimed here at First Southern. You can guarantee it, whether it's me or anyone else. So praise be to God for that. We are delighted you're here to worship with us, and in the bulletin, there's a welcome card. If you're a visitor, please fill that out and put it in the boxes as you exit. That way, we can reach out to you and welcome you here. Um, not a whole lot in the bulletin by way of announcements, but I want to, uh, don't you all know how much of a loving pastor we have in Brother Greg? He canceled, without hesitation, his week of travel. He was going to be in Jacksonville with David Burton Ministries, and he canceled that without hesitation to serve the Georges in their week of loss, tremendous week of loss, losing Sandy and Kenny in, in just a matter of days. And so Brother Greg lovingly was, was willing to do that without hesitation. So what a great pastor we have, and I'm thankful for his example there. Uh, so you might be confused by his email that said, 
uh, he was in Jacksonville. I thought, boy, did he fly to Jacksonville Friday night and spend Saturday there? Well, I found out he, he does that whole Google thing now very well. He plans out his emails, okay? So he, uh, he did leave, though, after the morning service to go to a church in uh, Fairfield to support one of his preacher buddies who is uh, kind of quasi-retiring uh, to support him there as he's transitioning into a new pastoral role, more of an assistant role. So Greg is uh, there with Renee as they're supporting that pastor. Uh, so I'll, like I said, I'll try not to scare anybody away as we keep the focus on the Lord today. Uh, do be mindful of the victory march coming up on the 17th. Uh, our goal is, is uh, over 4000 I think it's $4,035. Uh, so be prayerful about uh, joining us on March the 17th as we give uh, graciously of our hearts cheerfully to support missions on that day. Anything else I'm missing? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Ask him to be with us. Lord, we thank you for loving us and saving us. We thank you for this wonderful church and this family uh, that we can gather together as one, uh, united around the cross, Lord, knowing that Jesus is the reason we're here. He has purchased our pardon through his blood. And Lord, that sacrifice motivates us to praise your name as we've sung about today, giving you thanks for every good and perfect gift. Lord, I pray for every heart, every mind, every soul here today. We would be uh, able to put our distractions behind us, focus intently on the cross of Jesus today, and that we would uh, worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, be with Brother Greg and Renee as they're away supporting their friend in the ministry. Lord, we pray at this time, it's a good reminder to pray for any Bible-believing church in the world today that you would allow your word to be proclaimed boldly across the nations. Lord, we thank you for what you're gonna do in this service today. We thank you for what you've already done in the early service, and we just continue to praise your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take a minute to greet those of us near us, so turn and uh, welcome a person that maybe you don't know. Good morning, Jason. I believe that the dead came to life. I believe there are wonders and signs. You're still the same. I believe every word that you say. I believe there are scars in your hands. That your goodness is good without end. And you'll never. I will tell of your wonders, sing of your grace. The God of creation knows me by name. The Lord is faithful yesterday, now and always. Always. Your mercy is mighty, age after age. And all generations will bow down and pray. 
always faithful. Let's continue to praise him. Drive us 
shake before you the demons run and flee at the mention of the name king of majesty there is no power in hell or any who can stand before the power and the presence of the great I am the great I am the great time I want to dismiss our children to Children's Church, so five through third grade. Uh, head on out through the doors, Melanie, and I believe Kathy Mabry will meet you out there. I kind of need my Bible. Hey, I want to thank those of you tuning in on the live stream. Uh, my family is watching because they're under the weather, the girls, uh, Sarah and Lainey are. And then uh, some of my very best friends, they said, Cody, we're going to watch you preach today. So John and Jesse Young, thank you guys for tuning in. And anyone else around the world for watching God's word be proclaimed, amen. So I always come up here and I always say the same thing. It's a daunting task to fill Brother Greg's shoes. And if you're visiting with us and uh, for the first time especially, please don't be scared away. Come on back here, Brother Greg. But I'll do my best to, uh, to preach the word uh, clearly and plainly this morning. My sermon is titled, Don't Miss the Boat, don't miss the boat, and it comes from John chapter 8. 
John chapter 8. Now, uh, we just left off at verse 47, so we're going to continue 48 through 59 today, right smack dab in the middle of a very, very uncomfortable and tense conversation that Jesus is having with a group of people called the Pharisees. But we'll get to that in a minute. As you're turning to John chapter 8, I want to read you a, a kind of a humorous story. Uh, sometimes it's told as the parable of the drowning man. Now, I don't use the word parable as in the Bible. This is not from the Bible. It's just a story, and some people sometimes call it a joke. But just to get your minds churning here, here's the parable of the drowning man. A storm descends on a small town, and the downpour soon turns into a flood. As the waters rise, a local man kneels in prayer on his porch, surrounded by water. Soon, one of the townsfolk comes up the street in a canoe. Better get in, sir. The waters are rising fast. No, says the man. The Lord will save me. Still the waters rise, and now the man has to climb up to his second story of his house and is peering out the window looking at the events when another guy zips up in a motorboat. Come on, sir. We need to get you out of here. The levee's going to break any minute. Once again, the man is unmoved. I shall remain. The Lord will see me through. After a while, the levee breaks and the flood rushes over the home until only the tip of the roof remains. The man is up there clinging to his last footing when, above, when of all things, a helicopter descends out of the clouds and a storm, or a storm trooper, a state trooper. That would be interesting. Star Wars is on my mind. Let's get back. To the, I'm ruining the punchline here. When a helicopter descends from the clouds and a state trooper calls down to him through a megaphone, grab the rope, sir. This is your last chance. Once again, the man insists, the Lord will deliver me. Well, predictably, the man drowns. And a pious man, he goes up to heaven and face to face with God, he asks the almighty Lord, why didn't you deliver me from that flood? God shakes his head, what did you want from me? I sent you two boats and a helicopter. So you've heard it, but if you've heard the joke, it's not funny anymore. But, but while it's a joke, it does get us thinking a little bit. And that how often do we just close our eyes and plug our ears to the things that God has put right in front of us and called us to do? I mean, he has not left a single thing to chance. There's no mystery about following Jesus. We have the whole inspired word of God at our fingertips, but yet we act in ways that aren't as God would have us to act, right? I do this to a fault. I know I'm saved, but my selfishness gets in the way, and I ignore what God has called me to do. I don't act the way I should. I don't say the things I should. I don't serve like I should, pray like I should, or study the word like I should. And then when I'm doing those things, I'm missing Jesus. I'm missing what he's called me to do, what he's put right in front of me. But even worse than a Christian ignoring the daily call on their life to be consistent, millions of people are missing the boat of Jesus entirely. And sadly, they're dying without him and as a consequence will face an eternal punishment. They, they live their whole lives wondering where God is. You might wonder, where are the answers to all my brokenness, all my pain, all my hurt, all my suffering when God's right in front of him, yet they continue to ignore and mock and slander even those who follow him. But like I said, when all of us will die one day. We will face-to-face -face stand before God and have to give an account for the things we've done and the rejection those people will have to account for, that they rejected 
God and his free gift. Now, this fact that millions of people are dying without Jesus, missing the boat of salvation, boy, church, that should create a big sense of urgency within your heart. Not to say, like the man in the parable, the the drowning man, Lord, you'll do it. And ignore the fact that he calls us to be the ones that he does it through. Amen? As the church, we are the hands and feet of the gospel to get this message to those who are dying. And so as we're going to see in John chapter 8 today, what a great example we see from Jesus about reasons why, church, we should tell others to not miss the boat. So look at John chapter 8 with me, verses 48 through 59. Rising again, we're in the middle of an extremely tense back and forth when I'm reading this. My heart rate starts going up because I don't like tense interactions with people. And he's, you know, face to face with the Pharisees. And basically, they've just said to each other, you're an illegitimate child because you have no earthly father, the Pharisees said. And he says to them, no, no, no. You are the illegitimate children because you reject me. And if you reject me, you reject the father also. That's a bold thing to say. We're right there in that moment. So let's read verses 48 through 59, knowing the tension is just through the roof. Then the Jews answered and said to him, do we not rightly say that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. And I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Then the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead, and the prophets. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead, and the prophets, who are dead? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. If I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham. Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Lord, may this word uh, in just fall upon hearts that are ready to receive it today, Lord, as clear as it is that Jesus is the way. He is the truth, the life. He is the way to avoid this second death. Lord, help us to humble ourselves before the cross this morning, rejecting all pride, realizing Jesus is the way to salvation this morning. Help us not to miss it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I have today three points. They're in the outline there in the bulletin. It's not a handout today. It's actually in the bulletin. Three points, but I'd rather you consider them as reasons why Jesus is worth following. Because if if I'm asking you to not miss the boat of Jesus today, I think it's important to know the why. I think it's important to know the why for a lot of things in our lives, by the way. Our finances, if if you're wanting to be debt-free, you gotta know why. Why do you need that in your life? There's various angles to that. But also marriage, if you want a committed marriage, what's what's the why behind it? There's a lot of work involved, but what's the big picture? What's the why? And health for a lot of us. Knowing the why is what kind of made me take some drastic steps last fall to get control of my health. 
I'll give you a clue. Uh, Elena, Claire, and Nora, and my lovely wife, they're my why uh, for my health. But in order for us to know why something should be done, we gotta have that why. And so I'm not asking you today to just blindly get on the boat. I'm not asking you to, to follow Jesus because it's what Cody thinks or this church thinks. I'm asking you to consider the word of God this morning from Jesus' own mouth and the reasons we see from this interaction why he is worthy of our worship and why we should not let him pass by one more day. Each of us is gonna leave here today either on the boat or off the boat, and it will be your choice. It will be your choice. The first reason that I think Jesus is worth following is because he is the only perfect role model. He's the only perfect role model. Now, look, I have a lot of people that I look up to and I trust. Obviously, my wife is a role model for me because she's a great companion for me. Where I'm uh, anxious, she's calm, and we fit well together, and I look up to her attributes in those ways. Also, my mentor brother, Greg, uh, as he has never once made me feel less, uh, but rather he has encouraged me and inspired me and built me up and shown me how uh, to lead as, as a pastor. Uh, my, my former pastor, James Reisner, really challenged me to be a student of the word and to take theology seriously and to research things and systematic theology, how the whole Bible connects together. And so I look up to these people as role models. And maybe by God's grace at this point in my life, I might be a role model to some people, maybe my daughters, maybe some students. And so that's a great thing to be a role model. But folks, no matter how great our earthly role models are, at some point, they'll let us down. Because we are just fallen people. We are sinners. We are not perfect. At some point, your earthly role models will let you down. I could go on and list them out, right? But we, we already know sometimes our own role models even, they let us down. So look at this point again. Jesus is not a mere role model, okay? I didn't say he was a role model. You know, a good man, but whoa, Jesus has his imperfections. He has his weaknesses. He has his limitations. No, no, no. Jesus is the only perfect role model. Without sin, without mistake, the Bible clearly tells us that he was the spotless lamb who paid for our sin. Then later in the New Testament, it says, he who knew no sin took our sin on himself. And so Jesus, you can rest assured that when he does something, says something, or acts a certain way, especially in a very tense back and forth like this, it's what we should be doing too, isn't it? I don't know about you, but when conversations get heated, that's when I'm at my worst. When someone is accosting me or telling me I'm doing something wrong and they're trying to hurt my feelings, I'm not like Jesus. I respond with anger and other things. So I need this. I need this. Right away, Jesus is slandered. He's maligned for his truth, state, truthful statement that the Pharisees are not children of God, as we've already said earlier in chapter eight. He told them they've rejected him. They claim to love God, but if they reject Jesus, that means they don't love God either. And in fact, they're worshiping their father. Who's their true father? Do you remember? The devil. He just told them that their true father is the devil. And so they've rejected him. And their response in verse 48 is to call him a Samaritan and a demon. Now, these are insults. The Samaritan one might not make much sense to you. I mean, getting called demon-possessed is pretty clearly an insult. I think we understand that. Uh, yeah, but a Samaritan, what does that mean? Well, if you remember from, actually, it was when I preached in John 4, when Jesus is interacting with the woman at the well, who's a Samaritan. 
and we learned that Jews and Samaritans had nothing to do with each other. It was a cultural divide between those two areas in Judea, and they just did not have anything to do with each other. We might be able to think of similar situations in our societies even or countries today. And so by calling someone a Samaritan, it was like calling someone a worthless person in the eyes of the Jews. So he's just called names, and what is his response? Well, we know the sinless, spotless lamb of God doesn't have sin, so what does he do? He denies their false accusations, but he does so by pointing them to the truth with humility, integrity, and poise, and calmness. Let's see it. So the humility we've already seen in chapter eight, in verse 28 and 29, when he points them to the Father's will. And he does it again in 49 and 50. He basically is showing that his entire mission in coming is not of self-glory. It's not his own self-interest, but rather he is yielding to the Father's will. So insult me away, Pharisees. You're not going to distract me from the fact that I am of my Father's plan. So may we in our lives never seek our own, you know, selfish pursuits. Everything you do in your life should be through the lens of where God wants you to be. Don't climb a ladder at work for promotions that benefit yourself. It's not wrong to be promoted, but do so praying for God's will in your life. If a promotion is how he wants you to serve him better, then amen. But sometimes, have you ever been demoted to be used in the kingdom? That's happened for many of us. And don't think that that's not God's plan for your life. Jesus is fully showing his humility here. He says in verses 49 and 50, I do not seek my own glory. I am basically keeping the word of my father. Now, he also shows us how he defends his integrity. It's not wrong to stand up for the truth. It's not wrong to defend your integrity. But how? How is it done well, in verse 51, he tells them a very profound statement. Look, if you follow me, you'll never die. And that statement we're gonna examine in just a little minute, but that's a big statement to make. And they basically call him a liar because they're saying, hey, Abraham died. He's 2,000 years ago. How in the world are you gonna say that if we follow you, we won't die? Abraham's dead. Are you better than Abraham? And Jesus goes in 40, or 54 and 55, he says, look, I'm not a liar. In fact, I'm telling the truth so much, saying that this is God's will, that if I claimed to not know God, if I claimed that you would die through me or something, uh, that you would see death, only then would I be a liar. That's how true my promises are, that I'm of God's plan, the Father's plan. So he defends his integrity by saying, I'm, I know what I'm saying is crazy, but it's so true that if I was to say what you think is common sense, only then would I be Lying. So doing that, he basically sets the record straight. The Pharisees are the liars. The Pharisees are the liars. And it is, again, it is not wrong, my friends, if someone is saying an, an untruth about you, to call them on the untruth. But we must do so pointing them to God's glory in all of it, not ourselves. In other words, we're not about winning arguments to be right for ourselves, right? We're about pointing them to what honor our Father. And that's what Jesus does. He defends his integrity, not for selfish pursuits, but because he knows it's the truth. He knows it's the will of the Father for him to come and bear the good news that no one who believes on him will die. And it doesn't matter how absurd they think it is, it's the truth and he's defending it. Now, what do we take away from Jesus' responses here? How does he serve as this tremendous role model for times when we are hurt 
when we are maligned or offended. Well, as I said, it's not wrong to defend your integrity, but we don't see Jesus returning evil for evil. And how often do we do that? When we're arguing, we want to be right. And in doing that, we get selfish and nasty and hateful. And so, yes, while your intentions to defend something hurtful or wrong that someone did, they're, they're good intentions, you delivered it sinfully. And thus, you then have reason to apologize. I am big time guilty in that, right? I might be uh, wrongly accused of something, but how I addressed it was also wrong. And so, those two wrongs don't make the situation any better. So, Jesus doesn't sin, but again... It's about honoring God. Set the facts straight. And I love this. In all of this, his purpose is to point them to the truth that they would never die. So he's lovingly, through their hate, through their name calling, he's pointing them to the fact that if you would just believe on me, you won't have to die an eternal death. What better thing can you do, folks, than when someone is hurting you, what better thing can you do than to point them to Jesus in it? Say, look, I know you're hurting. I know you're in pain. And these things you're saying are kind of hurtful to me but I, 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 I take it that you might not know Jesus. And he forgave me of my sin when I used to deal with people like this. And I pray you would accept him and start treating people right way, in the right way that honors God. Point them to Jesus when they hurt you rather than snap at them in a sinful manner. Point them like Jesus did in patience and love, integrity, defending the truth so that they would hear the good news that they can escape death through believing on Jesus. So again, he shows us here reason number one to follow Jesus. He's a perfect role model, the only perfect role model. How to handle tense interactions. Jesus does it perfectly. The next reason that Jesus is worth following today, not missing him, is because he clearly tells us in verse 51 that all who follow him, all who keep his word, all who obey will never see death. Never see death. Now he defends uh, his integrity on this statement, as we've already kind of analyzed. And it, what is amazing about this is the, the Pharisees are quite confused by this statement. It's like when Ben Franklin said, you know, the only things certain in life are death and taxes. So how in the world can you say that we will never die if we believe on you? Everybody dies. But, but what they're showing is their ignorance, aren't they? They're showing what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians is the wisdom of God is foolishness to those who are perishing. In other words, someone whose heart is hardened by their unbelief cannot understand the things of the Spirit. They are spiritually discerned. First Corinthians tells us this. And so when Jesus is telling them that they will never die, they think it's nonsense because everybody dies. Their mind is on the physical, not the spiritual. So they, then they go to verse 52. They say this is impossible because they mention Abraham. Abraham did die. How in the world could this be true? Are you better than Abraham? And so Jesus addresses that concern from them about the physical death brilliantly. He introduces the spiritual by saying in verse 56, oh, basically, you want to bring up Abraham? I know him. I know him. And so he introduces the supernatural because how could Jesus, age 32, know someone who's dead 2,000 years unless he was supernatural? So clearly the death being described by Jesus it's not a physical death that we will avoid. We will all die one day. We love the George family, and they are going through a season of loss, two earthly deaths. But praise the Lord, there were not two spiritual deaths in that family. They will see eternal glory for their faith in Christ. And that's what Jesus is setting the stage for. That Yes, we're going to die earthly, but I know Abraham, who you just brought up, clearly this death is not a physical one. It is an eternal one. Now, I see similarities 
between our culture's response to the gospel and what we see from the, the Pharisees' confusion, don't you? Because I see people mocking what they don't understand. They downplay the promises of Jesus, and they flat out say it's untrue. But listen, folks, do people's opinion change the fact of what Jesus is preaching? And you need to be more okay to say that. It doesn't matter what someone believes to be not true about what Jesus is saying. It is true. His promises are true. His fulfillment of all Old Testament prophecies are true. He will go to the cross. It's just a matter of months from this encounter. He will taste death on the cross. He will rise again in three days from that moment of his death, conquering death where it was impossible for anyone else to do so. And here's the miracle of salvation. He gives his righteousness to you to anyone who believes on him, that you will never see eternal death or punishment by following him. He endured death once and for all in our place. That is what Jesus was always about, and people's opinion of it is irrelevant. It's the facts. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. So you can mock him, you can ignore him, you cannot understand him, but you can't change what he is and who he, came, who he is and what he came to do. If you're here today thinking like the Pharisees, like you're blinded by your pride and you're, you're thinking there's only one death and after that we just stay in the ground and rot and decompose, I'm here today to tell you Jesus' entire reason for coming was so that you would know there are two deaths and that you might avoid the second by believing in him. That was his entire mission, and he's telling the Pharisees that here in this text. Now, I want to pause for a second to talk about what the second death is. And as I introduce this, this is going to slowly become an old-fashioned hellfire and brimstone sermon in the eyes of some, but it's what the Bible says. I'm not going to shy away from it, and if there's someone here today that doesn't know what the Bible means by second death, let's talk about it, because it's in there. Revelation 20, turn with me, Revelation 20. 14 and 15. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not written, not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. To preach the gospel without hell, folks, is not the gospel. There is a consequence that awaits those who refuse Jesus. There is but one unforgivable sin, and that is refusing to believe on Jesus. He clearly teaches such were some of us. Liars, cheaters, adulterers, fornicators, but you were washed. But there is one sin that is unforgivable, and it is that someone that goes to the grave refusing to believe on Jesus. That person will encounter a second death described as a lake of fire. Now, my friends, this is not death as we know it, which is a permanent loss of consciousness. No, it's the opposite. It's a permanent arousal of consciousness, a full awareness of eternal pain and suffering. It's what the Bible says, not what Cody says, what the Bible says. Now, you might think, my goodness, that is unloving. I don't like that message. That is unloving for God to have a place like that exist. But my friends, what is supremely loving is that the God who made you took on flesh to pay the penalty for your sins so that you would not have to go through that death. That is supremely loving and merciful. He gave you a way 
to avoid this second death, friend. If you believe on Jesus, verse 51, you will never see that lake of fire. And what a peaceful thought that is, that the opposite of the lake of fire is a welcome home where there is no pain, suffering, no crying. Revelation might be scary in the talks about the second death, but it also talks about the joys of heaven, the new heavens and the new earth where we suffer no more. And I don't know about you, but I wanna go there. Clearly, I wanna go there. And that's how we do it, through Jesus. The final reason to not miss Jesus today is because he shows us in this text very clearly that he is fully God. He is fully God. When Jesus said he knew Abraham personally that, uh, and that Abraham rejoiced to see his day, the Pharisees respond again with astonishment, misbelief, mockery, whatever it might be. In 56 through 58, they say, you are not yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham? And so again, they're showing their confusion over this physical versus the spiritual. But what does Jesus say? Well, let's read verse 58 together because I find it to be one of the most powerful verses in all of the Bible. So it's on the screen. Uh, It's New King James, just so we're all saying the same thing at the same time. Let's read it together. Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Amen. Before Abraham was, I am. That might make no literary sense to you. How could he say, I am, the present tense? Well, Jesus uses the words I am eight times in John, and these I ams make for a great sermon series, and some of them we've already touched on. Some of them we will still go through in the, in the John study that we've been doing. But quickly, they are, if we have the graphic, we can show them um, the picture. There they are. I am the bread of life. I, and that was chapter six. I am the light of the world, chapter eight and nine. I am the door of the sheep, chapter 10. I am the good shepherd, chapter 10. I am the resurrection and the life, chapter 11. I am the way, the truth, and the life, chapter 14. I am the true vine, chapter 15. But in this special use of the words in 858, look at the center there. It's just the words by themselves. I am. And it's perhaps the most powerful of the I am statements in that Jesus is setting their record straight, the record straight, that he is divine. He is the God from eternity past, no beginning, no end, fully God. Just as God spoke to Moses in Exodus, if you want to turn over there, Exodus 3, Exodus 3, 14, we see the same eternal God speaking to Moses, who is fearful that the children of Israel won't accept him as the one to lead them out of captivity. And he says, what do I do? What do I tell them? He says in Exodus 3, 14, God says to Moses, I am who I am. He said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So Jesus, in these two simple words, declares himself to be a distinct person of the full triune Godhead, known as the Son, both fully man, as we know in John 1, 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. So Jesus was fully, uh, fully man, had a body, was tempted in every way as we were yet without sin. And here he is saying, by saying, I am, he is fully God too. He is establishing to the Pharisees who hate him desperately. He is establishing that he is equal in nature and power and authority to God the Father as he is the essence of the eternal God. And this claim, folks, this claim, I am, 
I am God. This claim is what would ultimately get Jesus killed because it, is considered, it was considered blasphemy among the Jews for anyone to say they were God. So look at verse 59. The Pharisees wanted to kill him on the spot. They wanted to stone him right there. The 2024 version of that would have been they drew their guns and were ready to shoot him in the head. But that was not God's, the Father, will for the Son to die in this manner. If it was, it would have happened. It wasn't his will. His will was for Jesus to go through an even more cruel death. And so we see there that Jesus was able to escape. Don't be like the Pharisees and miss out on the salvation that comes from God himself. Think about all the false religions out there. None of them have the eternal God, the almighty God himself taking on flesh to bear our penalty. All the false religions, they miss the point. God, the true God, took on flesh in the person of the submissive, servant-hearted son to bear the penalty for our sin and taste death in our place. I can't even imagine it. It's sometimes unimaginable and unbearable, the thought of Jesus going through that when we should have, but that's what happened. And by believing on that sacrifice, you will have eternity in heaven. Missing the opportunity to believe is what Jesus so desperately wants you to avoid, but it's that second eternal death. Now, in conclusion, shorter message today. I, I told Brother Greg, hey, I might be under 30 minutes today. <laughs> On this topic of missing the boat, Sarah and I enjoy cruising, um, and we've been on a couple. Uh, we're still young, so maybe we'll add a few more before things are said and done, right? But uh, one thing they make it very clear on the boat, all right, you're about to exit on this port and explore your surroundings, but you must be back by 7 p.m. or the boat will what? Leave, leave without you. And if you think they're joking, try it. Yes, you, there are some excursions where they'll wait and stuff, but if you do your own trips or just wander and you're not back, they'll leave without you. The boat will leave without you. Folks, your time here at port on earth is only known to God. None of us know how much time we have. Those who have lost a family member, very rarely do we know with certainty how much longer they will live. Sometimes their death thirsts are so sudden as we walked through with Candy and her father's passing was so sudden, her breath was taken from her. And it was so hard to walk her through that, walk with her through that. And so none of us know, folks, whether we have 50 years or five years, could it be even five months? What about five days? Maybe I won't see you next week. Maybe five minutes. The Bible describes our life as but a vapor. You have those humidifiers. Does anybody use those in the wintertime? I about need to or my nose dries up into a prune. But when the mist is going into the air, it amazes me that I'll move my hand through it and my hand doesn't get wet. I know I must be a musician and not a scientist for that to amaze me but I touch that water vapor and I find it to be amazing. Wow, it's gone. That's your life. The Bible says in James, appears for a while and then vanishes. Something else that should humble you. Within two, three, definitely by four generations, you will be forgotten on earth. People will walk by your tombstone and not know one thing about you. Your grandparents will care, or your grandchildren will care. Your great-grandchildren, if you were involved in their life, they'll care. Double great probably not, triple great, we will not be remembered on earth. That's why it's so important to make sure, as Greg says, 
have your loved ones know that your forwarding address is in heaven where we will be together forever one day. That's what matters, making sure we are there. Don't miss out on the full God who came uh, and took on flesh and died for you, the I am. How do I know it's true, Cody? I, 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 this is circular reasoning. I've heard that a lot from atheists. This is saying the Bible's true because the Bible's true is circular reasoning. Well, number one, all of us that have experienced the saving faith of God, we don't care what circular reasoning is. We know it's true because it is true, amen? But if you need some more reasons, here are a few. Thousands of preserved, preserved manuscripts of this book, thousands more than any other ancient book are preserved in entirety, verifying every word. Jesus fulfilled every messianic prophecy of those preserved manuscripts. Jesus did historically, separate from the Bible in historical accounts, did exist, did die on the cross, and there was an empty tomb. And then he appeared to hundreds of eyewitnesses. All of the apostles but one were murdered for their belief and their, their, their knowledge that Jesus really did rise. So there's some evidence, but you are faced today with still the choice. Jesus has said true words. There are historical facts that verify it, but ultimately all of us must make the choice today to accept or to reject. The boat, Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Get on that boat and you will have eternal life. You will not have to go through the lake of fire. One last thing some people say is, hey, you know, I'm a good person. There's no way God would send me a good person to heaven. Folks, the whole reason that Jesus came is because if it was about us, and our good works, it would give us the glory, not him. By knowing that Jesus came, it gives him the glory for taking on our sin and shame, and it makes us but humble recipients of his grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 clearly says, it is a gift of God, not of us. So it's not about how good you are. It's about whether you've given your heart and life to Jesus Christ who died for you. Acts, 13, or Acts 16, 31 says it as clear as ever, believe on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. It truly is that simple. Of course you have to mean it. Of course it has to, faith is, 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 is backed up by true evidence of a changed life. But it is that simple. Give your heart to, to Jesus today through belief and you will not see death. Or maybe missing the boat, you're saved today. I think we had to give our due diligence to this text to those who are unsaved, folks. This is the, the nature of this text is the Pharisees. They were unsaved. And so we needed a good gospel message today, amen? But, but maybe missing the boat for you means something completely different because you're already saved. Maybe you're missing the boat of teaching others the gospel. It's just talking about uh, the Lord to other people because of your insecurities or your fear or you're embarrassed and you're missing the opportunities. Maybe you're missing the boat of service to your local church because you've prioritized your time and your selfishness and what you want to do instead of what benefits God's local church. Or maybe you're missing the boat of victory over sin because you keep believing that there's no way out of a sin struggle. Folks, there's power in the name of Jesus to lift you out of that sin struggle. Believe on it. Maybe you're missing the boat of, of, of hope to conquer an addiction. There's just, just no hope. I can't do it. Folks, get back on the boat of Jesus because he can conquer anything. He did conquer everything. Nothing is too big for God. 
Your insecurities, your worry, your fear, your sin, your addiction, none of it is too big for God. Maybe you're missing the boat of joy because you've harbored ill will in your heart towards someone else. And so it's just robbing you of sleep. It's robbing you of peace and comfort because every time you think of this person, you get angry. Let go of that and get on the boat of peace that comes through Jesus, knowing that he calls us to forgive. Maybe you're missing the boat of, uh, oh, I went through my whole list. So you would have to create the rest of <laughs> missing the boat. But the list goes on, truly, it does. We can miss Jesus in a plethora of ways. At the end of the day, though, the good news is this, folks. The way of the cross leads home for all of us. The way of the cross does not just leave, lead home for the unbeliever. The way of the cross leads home for you, the, the one who has lost their, their peace and joy and happiness, the one who is struggling with sin. Come home to Jesus. Here's the, the wonderful truth of the gospel. He has never stopped loving you because you are his child. The moment you give your heart to him, he welcomes you into the family of God permanently. And he welcomes you back every time you come to him as if you've never strayed. Isn't that amazing? He welcomes the prodigal. He welcomes the wanderer. So rededicate your life to him. Rededicate your heart to him and restore that peace and that joy that comes from an earthly life dedicated to the Lord. And we pray that together, these two groups, those who believe on Jesus today and those who rededicate their lives to him, we get on the Jesus today to one day be in heaven for eternity where there is no more of this earthly pain and suffering. We just worship the Lord and are together forever in eternity. And that will be a beautiful day. The opposite though, we know for those who are unbelievers is that eternal death. You can get on the boat. You do not have to miss it. Today is your opportunity, but I wanna say again, I don't know what'll happen after we all leave these doors. I would love for this group to all be back here next Sunday, but we just don't know. So make sure if the Lord is stirring your heart today, make a decision for the Lord today. In the quietness of your heart, you can pray, Lord, forgive me a sinner. I trust in you and your full work on the cross. And you're saved. It's that simple. Let us know. We want to rejoice with you. We want you to be baptized so that people can know about your salvation. But we're going to have a moment here of response. So let's all bow in prayer. Lord, I am so thankful for this, this group that's very attentive this morning, and I pray for every heart here. Maybe there's someone here today who had never heard the name of Jesus, maybe did not know anything about him. Lord, I pray today that they would see from his own mouth, his own actions, why he's worth following today, Lord. He's a perfect role model for our earthly struggles that we go through. Lord, he has offered us a way out of eternal death. What a loving thing that he has done for us. And Father, he is the full God, the Son, the person of the Godhead known as the Son, took on flesh. No sin was found upon him, yet he went to the cross and became sin for us. Lord, thank you for that sacrifice. I pray that if any heart does not know that or believe on that, that they would make that decision right now to settle it right now at the foot of the cross. Lord, I pray for every believer here today that is struggling. Sometimes, Lord, we just need to say it. We're on the struggle bus. We are doubting you. We are scared. We are worried. We are in a sin mess. We need to remember that that boat, you never kicked us off, but metaphorically, if we get back on, you will restore to us the peace and the joy and the love that we feel we have lost, Lord. Help us to rededicate to you as believers today. Not plugging our ears, not uh, closing our eyes, but open wide at what you'd have us to do. 
So Lord, this is my prayer for this invitation that your spirit would move well this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna be up front, Brother Tim, uh, if you wanna come on up and, and also help me. Uh, and the altar is open for prayer, folks. Any decisions, just come as we sing. Don't miss the boat. Desminado gentus verse out. If that's you, you're letting him pass by. Sing it. We want to be sensitive to the Spirit, so at this time, bow your heads. I know all of us have something we can give back to the Lord this morning. I know there's some way in your life right now that you've been, been holding back from giving yourself fully to the Lord. And by doing that, you're missing those opportunities. They're, they're passing by you. I'm almost hesitant to throw out more examples because everybody's circumstances are so unique, but you know so Lord, you know our hearts, you know what we struggle with. We know that you love us. You called us to you when we trusted with you, trusted in you in faith. You, you brought us into the family, so restore us fresh this morning. Help us to trust in you and help us to be used by you, Lord, for your kingdom. Laying down anything that's keeping us from that mission. And again, Lord, I pray for the gospel for any heart that has not fully given it to you yet. So, Lord, you know us and you love us and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, it's been a great morning to be together. My heart's refreshed by you all and your love and attention and worship, so thank you for that. Is there anything by way of announcement that needs to be prayed over before we leave? Um, 
So March Gladness is starting on Sunday in your Sunday school rooms. Uh, the flyers have been handed out to your Sunday school teachers, so I'll direct you to your Sunday school teacher for more information on March Gladness, but that's starting next week. Anything else? Well, let's pray. We'll be dismissed. Let's go to the Lord's Prayer. Lord, we thank you once again for a wonderful service. We thank you for what you're going to do, what you've already done, what you're going to do this week in our lives. Lord, help us to seek you every day as we go into uh, our lives, our work, the workforce, our families, wherever we might be. Lord, help us to lean upon you and trust you every day. In Jesus' name.